Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential, a college baseball podcast at the Paramount Podcast Network. <laughs> oh, man, that felt great. I am Mike Casazza. Welcome me and Chris Anderson. Chris, I'm just trying to keep the leaves fresh on the trees here because um, I don't know how much more I can talk about college basketball at the current state of West Virginia. It's not it's not that I don't want to talk about football yet, but I need to do a little bit more research. But as you told me, spring football is really soon, even though the spring game is going to be until April 23rd. But this time next week, we'll be right near the finish line for that, too. And then um, Ping is in the air. Mountaineers, three out of four on the road. Open the season with a surprisingly potent offense. Um, promising pitching? I guess we can get all, all that there, too. But, yeah, we need a new material, and thank goodness the baseball team gave us some with more opportunities for them coming up on TV. But on TV last night, West Virginia, a 10-point loss at TCU. West Virginia has gone from the team that cannot lose games if it wants to be a postseason team to the team that you cannot lose to if you want postseason chances. TCU realized that, took advantage last night. Um Really hot start, and then the customary successful second half against West Virginia. And a lot of um, hand-wringing or throwing up of hands after the game. It was kind of interchangeable. Bob Huggins probably close to the end of the rope with this team. I don't know how serious he is about changes, but he is certainly threatening about changes. That's been a perpetual state for a little longer than I imagined it would probably going to happen. But here we are, one game above 500. Eight games under 500 in the Big 12. I have no idea how they make the conference, excuse me, how they make the NCAA tournament short of the conference tournament championship. And even that seems like a reach, but he still thinks they have a chance. Can, can they go ahead and just be eliminated from the conference championship? Just just the way they're playing, just go ahead and move on from that? Is that possible? Preeminently, or, or like, yeah, I'm trying to think of the word here. P, uh, pre, what's the word? Preemptively. You're the you're the you're the journalism guy. Wordsmith, right? Preemptively, yeah. can they just not even go? I don't I don't think they're gonna go for that, but yeah. Eleven eleven losses in the last twelve games. Um and it, it's fair to say that we need to be fair in this critique because all throughout the football season, I know I, I know me personally, I, I got on the coaching staff for doing the same thing repeatedly over and over and over again and nothing changing and still losing, still getting the same results, still having the same stagnant offense. It, it's safe to say that that's what's happening with the basketball team. There have not been a lot of changes, very tiny tweaks to the rotation, to the lineup uh, over the, the course of the last couple months. And the end result, another loss, another you know, uh, slow start to the second half, another game where the opposing team gets to the rim at will, another game where West Virginia gets out-rebounded. Um, Bob Huggins in the postgame, we'll talk about that in a second, it says changes are coming, but uh, I think it might be six, seven, eight games too late for that right now. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, let's talk about that for a second. Let's it. just get into that because that's going to be the conversation people have. Um, some some strong quotes on the radio and then in the Zoom with us and then followed up with him on some of the stuff to see exactly what he can or what he's willing to do. Because I just, from what I have ascertained from working with him for so long, he's not going to make changes for the future unless he thinks he's got a chance to do, while he thinks he has a chance to do something. And they, they really think if they win their final four games, bang, they're right in it. They go into Kansas City with some momentum and who knows, maybe they get to the final. I don't know. They don't know, but like that's the thing. 
I don't think he's going to pull the cord yet and, and pull it off in a different direction. But I don't know how you can go out there and expect to do what he wants to do while doing what they've continued to do for weeks on end right now, too. We're talking since the first weekend of January. Um, this has kind of looked bad. Maybe since the end of the first half through the end of the game against Kansas until the present, it's just been a bad offensive outfit. The chemistry, the the rebounding, the decision-making, the turnovers, the long list of those has not gone their way, but with very few changes. You know, we had a two-game cameo for a starting lineup. The main change in there, Kobe Johnson, um, it's going to pop up on the side of a milk carton soon if we're not careful. <laughs> so I just don't know, like, what he's going to do, and I asked him about that, but I guess we can get into that. The difference between what could he do and what will he do is probably not very large. The difference between what he will do and what he might do is maybe different because he can think about things, but will he actually do it? What's what's realistic? What's a good idea, I should say? And what's the reality of the situation? I want to drop a stat here for one change that I have been pushing for uh, maybe since before the season even started. Uh, it was It was a... It was something that I was told by a capital S source that Polly Polycap would be the starting center, that he was their best option as the starting five. It didn't happen. He played very little early on. His time has increased as the season has gone on. And last night was the perfect, like, I mean, this is why if you, if you are making a pro Polycap argument, last night was the perfect game. And here's why. After the game, Bob Huggins railed on his team. I believe he said it has, quote, never happened before about his team being out-rebounded. Uh, quote, we get absolutely slaughtered on the glass, 42 to 24. That has never, ever happened to one of my teams. We've never gotten doubled in rebounds. I did not go back and look to see if that was actually the case. It might be. Uh, you know, he had, his teams have been known to rebound well, so it wouldn't shock me if that hasn't happened before. But Paulie Polycap played 16 minutes and 40 seconds on Monday night. 16 minutes and 40 seconds. During that time, during that 16 minutes and 40 seconds, West Virginia secured 14 live ball rebounds. TCU secured 14 live ball rebounds. So while Polly Polycap was on the court, the rebounding advantage was nil, zero, just absolutely even. When Polycap was not on the court, 23 minutes and 20 seconds, TCU had an 18 rebound advantage. 18 plus 18 in 23 minutes with Polycap off the court. Chris. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I get that he gets in foul trouble more, but he has to play more. He has to. You can't do that. What was the final rebounding margin again? 18. Oh. <laughs> Literally every single plus rebound in TCU's favor. It was even with Polycap on the court, plus 18 for TCU with him off. Amazing how that happens. Yeah. And, and um, I mean, he gets, well, I believe he had six, six and 16 minutes and 40 seconds. And, and But it's not, it's not all about the ones that he actually secures. He gets his hands on them. They have to, the other team has to put bodies on him, which then opens it up for others to sneak in there and get the rebounds. Guys are 
blocking him out. One or two guys are blocking him out or focused on him, which allows guys like KD Johnson to sneak in there. He had five rebounds to, to grab rebounds when that happens. And so it's it's something. You, know, you can't look at one game. I get it. But this has been a recurring theme all season long that when – and I don't want to pick on Cottrell, but we, we've said it time and time again. He made some shots, looked good, had a nice pass, had a couple uh, big outside shots, finished three of three from the floor, but he had zero defensive rebounds, zero. The man is six foot ten and played 22 minutes and had zero defensive rebounds in the game. That's just not – that's not sustainable when that's your five. Yeah. This is something I think that Huggins can and, and will control if he can. Point being, De, uh, DeMond Kerrigan's not a very good rebounder, and effort would appear to be the problem with him sometimes. DMP. First time, D- I believe. DMP right? dash CD. Coach's yeah. decision. Unless he got, unless he rolled an ankle on getting on the plane or something. but um, And he, he'd been a guy that they'd tried to use lately and, and thought that he was a good defender and he could do some things, but I think they got tired of him. Just not giving himself to the game didn't didn't play, and that's a guy who's who's long. He's not especially tall, but he's long, and he can he can do some things with his arms on defense, or presumably on rebounds doesn't. But the thing that gets me, um, one TC is the best rebounding team in the Big Twelve. I don't know if people realize that before the game. I think that point was made um, a couple of times. I saw the graphics, so I think they were talking about the rebounding, but did not have like a two hundred and seventy five pound six ten six eleven guy in there. But guess what, Chris? Um, the dispersion of rebounds, pretty widespread. Four, eight, six, seven, three, six from the guys who played a lot. Everybody was getting it. And one of the things about playing WVU, yeah, you can have five guys who can score in double figures because everybody's got a chance, right? Spin the wheel, get a prize once you get the ball because you can drive on them. Um, you might you might throw in a three-pointer like one of their guys. Did. I think O'Bannon had what, yeah, three baskets, three threes. Not a three-point shooter, but that happens. But – you can fly in from the perimeter. You can run along the baseline. You can get to the opposite side of the shot. If you're on the shot side, you can kind of do what you want when you rebound against them because they really don't box out. They're not very very big. And, like, even the guys – you can watch sometimes guys who did box out, they got moved. And did they really box out then? I don't know. Probably not. But you got to want that spot. Like, you can get to the spot. That's fine. you got to want it. And other teams, just they come in from angles or they go to a spot they want to get to. And when you look at that dispersion numbers, that's that's pretty impressive there, too. Is that TCU's thing? Yeah, they're a really good rebounding team. But why? Because everybody can go and get one or two or six or eight, you know? And think about what Candace did the other day. A guard, a forward, and a center all had 11 rebounds. Those are good rebounders, like, across the season. That's what they do. But you can do that to West Virginia. Now, how do you do that in playing time for Huggins? Because maybe he did with Kerrigan. Um, I don't know if, if Osaboyan he's going to get all the way back or if he wants to get all the way back or if he's going to get the opportunity to get all the way back, but that's a guy who can rebound. He's given you double digit games before polycap can go get the ball. What's strange about polycap is that's a guy who does go and get it. Sometimes he's really good at getting the ball. He's not great at catching the ball. <laughs> that's an unfortunate thing for him, but he can go do it. But then where else are you get rebounds from Jalen bridges? If he's plugged in, yeah, he can get him for you. Uh, Sean McNeil did play last night. Didn't get a rebound in 20-something minutes. Um, you're not going to ask for a lot of rebounds out of Taz Sherman. Malik Curry's not going to rebound for you. Keetrain Johnson can, I think, but he's typically a guy, at least on the offensive end, when the shot goes up, you want him back because of his defense. Going down the list here, like, they're not going to play Okonkwo. 
Um, Jamel King, could he rebound? No idea. So, like, I don't know how he can supplement the rebounding issues with playing time here, but I bet you that's one thing that bugs him, too. I'm going to say they've been out-rebounded by more than 18 before. Doubled up. They weren't quite doubled up. I'm not sure that's happened, but a minus 18 is an absurd number for a Bob Huggins team. I can't believe that that's not going to be what they watch on film because they can't do a lot in practice today with the game tomorrow night. That's a fix I think he can try to make. Problem being, and this is a thing for a lot of their, their issues, I don't know. I don't know who is to complete the what. Like, what are they going to do? Fine. Who are they going to use? No idea. To your point about the rebounding for TCU, the five, the top five rebounders for TCU in last night's game, 6'7", 6'6", 6'6", 6'4", 6'2". That was a full, a full team effort and, and no one that is just definitively – like bigger, longer, stronger than anybody West Virginia has. That's just all about effort is what that is. That was kind of a TCU game, too. They turn it over quite a bit because they don't have great guard play. Uh, they don't shoot threes. They're the worst three-point shooting team in the conference. They start at three of four. They finish one for ten. Um, but they rebound, and they they go after it because that's what they have to do to survive. They just don't have a lot of offensive skill. That's it. Kind of like their team. Like, I don't know if they were better without Lampkin. Um. That's a guy who's been on a roll lately, but they hadn't been playing very well lately. But you put that Xavier Court guy in the middle. He's like a 6'9", maybe 6'10". Mm-hmm. He runs around and does some things. You get very little from other bigs, but they don't have to. And like that's a team like that. The way it was composed last night matches up really well against West Virginia, especially if those wings and guards are going to rebound. But, um, hey, did well with some transfers. Good guard play and, and found a way around not having bigs last night. That's that's kind of what West Virginia has to look at, look at in the future here. Maybe do well in the portal, um, get good guard play, find a way around not having a big. I kind of feel like TC might be a better team. They're like one player away. I felt like if they had like a shooter, shooter. I know uh, the the backup point guard Farah Bello is supposed to be a shooter. Uh, Abana made three. He's not a great three point shooter. About thirty three percent. If they had a really good shooter, I think that's a team that might be a little bit more noisier in the Big Twelve. But as it is, they're probably going to make the tournament, Chris, as long as they don't fall apart. And I say that, but you saw their schedule at the end, right? Uh, yeah, they they play what six games in two weeks because of the the delay or the postponements from earlier. Yeah, they're going to be in pieces by the time they come to Morgantown. Right. Like they have a they play Kansas back to back. That's yeah. not going to be fun. They also play uh, Texas Tech and Texas too. Um, not not in a back well in back to back. One's home, one's away. That's not going to be fun. Actually, those are both home. Um. That's a tough stretch for them too. So again, they'll be they'll be in rough shape when they come to Morgantown. They won't look as good as they did last night. They might have already sewn things up to with a couple wins, but that might also be a team that's bruised, battered, and, and maybe is out of the tournament. Who knows? But if they get their act together, that's a tournament team. All right, maybe maybe we'll end on this. What changes would you make? One change, pick one change. I, I I'll I'll follow up after you. I won't use my polycap pick again. So what changes are you making for these final uh, four games in the tournament? Can't play Curry. Okay. I just can't do it. Like, I've, I I don't know if I was on this earlier on or if people have come around to this, but you can just tell his when he's in, his offense goes to the top of his priority list. And the team, to me now, um, preemptively, hey, shuts down a little bit. It, it's like they know it's not going to work and it's going to be him going down and he doesn't pass the ball. And you see guys who maybe need a break. They're getting a break on the court. They're taking a break on the court. And then I had to look at it, and I might do this for a story or part of a story, but when he came in and jacked a three, which makes him, I think, 0 for 15 in conference play now, um, he was 2 for 2 at that point. 
called his number. I don't know if he needs to be heat checking from three. I'd much rather him heat check from three feet, get the line, do something like that. But it just seemed like things went bad from there. And then McNeil took a three after that, maybe before that. And those are guys who didn't have it going. And I'm not sure why they were looking for it. But um, when, you, when Curry's shooting threes, that's not going to do stuff for the, the offense to function the way it has to. And that first first half of the first half, I'd even say maybe the first two-thirds, and when you consider the body of work, maybe the whole first half for West Virginia was really good. I think, what, 12 assists on all the baskets, something like that? Mm-hmm. Really good ratio, my, my point. Um, he's not a distributor, and when he comes in, he gives you points and spurts. He's good when you need points or when you got to get to the line or slow things down or add some sanity to things. Um, but when he's out there shooting and, and not doing much, uh, when he does not – turn left or right and go downhill, he flips it to a teammate and gets out of the way, or he shoots a three. And his plus minus has been discouraging for a while. He doesn't give you much on defense. He turns it over. But back to my point, the the what is okay, don't play him. The who is who plays. Like, they haven't done enough with, like, Sherman on the ball. Kobe Johnson just isn't going to play, it looks like. So I wouldn't play him. I don't know how they supplement that. I'm not sure either, because even last night, Curry only played nine minutes, and they only put Kobe in for uh, four minutes. So, I and I don't think you're going to get 33 minutes from Keaton Johnson every night. Like, that's not going to happen because he is typically – I was amazed that he only had one foul. I mean, I, I recognized as the game was going on that he wasn't fouling as much as usual, but he typically picks up a few cheap ones and is in foul trouble. So 33 minutes for Keaton Johnson is not going to happen moving forward. Mm. Um, and, and you're right. I don't know where you go. Uh, Seth Wilson, maybe. Uh, Huggins is insistent that he's not a point guard. My counter is Malik Curry's not a point guard, so it's okay. Um, play him. Figure it out. Just get guys out there that can shoot and that can handle the ball that, that want to be out there. Um, this, I would like to see, I mean, I, me personally, I don't think they have a shot at the tournament. I think a lot of people feel that way. I don't think I'm out on a limb on that, but you're to your point earlier about Huggins, not playing the younger guys, unless he knows absolutely that he's out of it. I think he needs to come to grips that unless it's a miracle run in the, in the conference tournament, that it's over. It's done with for the season, play the younger guys. I'd want to see a Conquo out there. I would want to see uh Jamel King. He finally pops in there. I, you are dying for a couple things. Offense off the bench and rebounding. James Aconquo and Lopo scoring. He's been begging for Lopo scoring. According to Huggins' own words, Jamel King is the best shooter on the team, and James Aconquo is the best uh, big man on the team, at least as far as preseason, his preseason comments go. So put Aconquo in. Let him, let's see what he can do. Let's see what he can do down there. If Kerrigan is going to be sitting the bench the rest of the way, if Gabe is going to look like he did last night, um, and again, Cottrell is is not your five. Uh, heck, put put Aconquo and Cottrell out there at the same time. I wouldn't mind seeing that. I think Aconquo's um, athletic enough to to defend a couple fours or come out on the perimeter a little bit. I wouldn't mind seeing that um, because I think uh, Cottrell can still spread the offense a little bit. So give Aconquo, give King some time. If King is, is truly your best shooter, and I had a couple people tell me that in the preseason, um, and I didn't realize this, I guess, when he committed, but he shot 50-some percent from three in high school, which is absurd. Uh, comes in, hits a three last night. Let it, let him go out there and cook. Let him, let him shoot. Spread it out. 
see what you can get from your two freshmen. See if there are guys that you can keep around. Uh, 9.03 left in the first half. TC was just taking a 28-27 lead. Curry misses a three with 12 seconds in the shot clock. It's 28-27 TCU. Um, he comes out of the game uh, a couple minutes later at the 5.37 mark. It's 37-29 TCU, and they go on to lead 40-30 to not long after that. Um, offense got in a rut. Is it because of him? Was he part of it? I don't know, but that's that's not a first. We'll see. And, yeah, I'm with you. Play the young people. Um, that was not a game that Oconquo physically couldn't handle last night because without Lampkin, and they started that different starting lineup against Iowa State because Iowa State isn't big. Iowa State plays basically four guards or, or slash players out in the perimeter, like wings and guards, whatever. They're not very big. Um, they do have a big guy, but they're not going to put two bigs out there. I think he could probably play in this game on Wednesday, and they might eat the legs too. Uh, we'll see. Um, switch to football, Chris. Okay. Coming up next weekend, our context clues say that recruits will be on campus for spring football next, what, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, right? Right. So we can presume that the flag will drop one of those days, right? And then this will go all the way to March, excuse me, April 23rd. Um You've got a depth chart, which might be the only depth chart that we see for some time. So you care. You filled in some blanks. We want to talk briefly here about what we can expect we have our eyeballs on. Uh, the depth chart is kind of enlightening because, again, it's names on paper, but those names on paper kind of give you some hierarchy of needs or some purpose of organization for practice, some ideas about outcomes, um, maybe positions of depth they want to get to, maybe positions of strength they want to develop. A lot to talk about, even though we don't have a lot of intel right now. Uh, let's go through a couple things. It could be people. It could be ideas. It could be themes. Um, what are you going to have your eyes on? Well, I guess not in person, but as you watch Zooms or as you read the, the clippings from various writers and reporters around here from spring football in 2022 at West Virginia. Do we do we just skip right past quarterback, put that at the top and just skip right past it? Well, I do have a quarterback one I want to get to. But, yeah, who wins quarterback and how they're playing? I don't want that. You're right. Okay. I want to see who gets the head start at receiver because as I was putting that depth chart together, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, if you count Malashevich. Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? If. If. <laughs> okay. Six guys that I maybe not even at trust, but six guys, five guys with that have seen the football field. Only four who have seen major snaps, and maybe even three. If It depends on how you want to count Reese Smith. I would count him because I think he's been out there on some important plays, not as many snaps as some other guys, but he would be the fourth. And I don't know. I don't know how. I think you have a new coach, a new wide receivers coach, a new offensive coordinator, a potentially new scheme, at least tweaks to the scheme uh, offensively. And really, like, no depth at receiver. And you have these four or five, maybe six guys that it's, hey, in the summer, we got at least two junior college kids that we went out and recruited to come in and play right away. And we're talking about picking up another transfer for that same position. You got two months to get a head start. Two months. Go. And I think that's a position I really want to watch because that is one that – in 2020, they were one of the worst in the country in drops. 
in 2021, they stopped dropping the ball, but they weren't explosive at all. Uh, despite throwing more passes per game than anyone else in the Big 12 Conference, West Virginia ranked ninth out of 10 teams in the league in play in passing plays that went 30 more yards. Hmm. They, it, It's just not explosive. And, and then, on top of that, three of them transfer. Three of those guys in the rotation transfer out. Is that, I mean, I think all three of those guys are power five contributors. They all are ending up at FBS schools, obviously right at uh, Florida State. Sean Ryan at Rutgers and Isaiah Esdale at, you feel me in the blank here? Where are you going? Rice. Rice. So those guys, they're not bad. Let's get that out of the way. But we've spent the last two years talking about how poorly this unit is playing. And then the guys that played poorly are leaving played decently to poorly, had their moments. What happens now? Do the guys that stick behind step up? Do the guys that are finally getting their first shot step up? Or is it more of all spring long and then, God, I hope those junior college guys are pretty good because I think that that's where you need to go, especially if you have a young quarterback. You need receivers that can make plays. You need them. So I'm very interested to see what those receivers are able capable of doing this spring. I like it. Um, and there's going to be some built-in advantages too, because, well, you would assume that the, the guys who were second string last year, a Reese Smith, for example, are probably going to have a good rapport with a Garrett green or a will Crowder. Well, guess what? Green and Crowder are going to have much more exposure in practice. Does that lift a guy like Reese Smith? Uh, that would be interesting. Uh, I agree with you all on that. I would just say that I want to see who they put in that wide position. That's always been big in the Graham Harrell offense. Um, sometimes it's like a tight end type, and that that's because they're going to use a lot of two tight end formations. I don't know where they're at with tight end. I don't know if they know that. Sometimes it's a small guy like a Winston Wright or a Reese Smith. Sometimes it's a big guy like a Drake London or a Bryce Ford Wheaton. What they figure out they have at receiver is going to indicate who's going to be their their go-to. And that position is important because you're closest to the ball. You're the first read. You get the ball on the run. You can go vertical. Like, there's a lot you can do there. Uh, so I, w- I would imagine, like, perhaps a Sam James could be there. But maybe Sam James is an outside guy in this offense. Um, is it a big guy, a small guy? I'm with you on that one there, too. This is kind of cherry-picking, but I, I want to put, like, an asterisk on this. Cornerback's going to be very important to me because – not just because of Daryl Porter, who, by the way, is still on the roster. And – He's not yet in the portal, correct? Uh, yeah, I guess I was I was on mute, but yeah, I was about to say the same thing. Not yet in the portal officially. Yeah, so he's not going to be at spring practice. I understand that, but you still got a lot of corners here. Um, you want to keep an eye on Nick Troy Fortune because he's coming back from injury. If he's not in the spring, which I would not be surprised about, that's not necessarily bad news. You kind of know what you have with him. I'd be worried about him and his confidence coming back. Remember, that's a guy who who they were trying to make more confident last year. And if you're coming back from a significant uh, lower torso injury, right, yeah. it might take you some time. And you really don't want to be finding that confidence in August. You'd much rather find it in the spring. But after that, you really have some some candidates to, like, keep an eye on and see what's going to happen here. Because um, the freshman class coming in is going to be pretty good. But they're probably going to have to play, like, you recruit Jacoby Spells and he's good enough to play. Um, guess what? Like, that's a guy that you're almost having to play now in the era of the the transfer portal. I understand he's not here in the spring, but certainly his name is going to loom large, I would think, right? Um, other freshmen, um, and this this kind of leads to another part of the conversation here, too. Uh, my point being that you, you probably do think about freshmen now, especially a guy like Spells coming in. 
um, even though he's not here. I get that. But like that's that's a guy you're probably going to play for fear of losing him. So he's not here, but he's going to loom. And that's going to affect some people who are, to me, interesting, like an Andrew Wilson Lamp, who is still a corner. Um, and that may be his ultimate fate here. That's fine. He could be a safety in some time. I don't know. But has the skill to play corner. 6'2", what, 175? He can do that for sure. Um, Marcus Floyd is here. That's a seasoned guy. So an old guy, a new guy. But they're both new and that they're kind of just breaking into this thing right now. Um, Floyd new on campus. Wilson Lamp new to playing time. That'll be interesting. And then... Some of the people who are also new that are news to me is that the freshman uh, Mumu Bin Wahad, right? Mm-hmm. Cornerback? That's right? what he says, yeah. Yeah. Um, Tyron well, That's Woodby. also how he's listed, sorry. Yeah, right. Tyron Woodby. Cornerback? Right. Okay. Uh, Caleb Coleman, not new. Defensive back. Probably still a safety, <laughs> but that was a guy who played all over the field before. And I would put him like in the maybe in like the Charles Woods category. Woods is listed as a cornerback, but he can play all over. So you have people who we thought maybe safeties or defensive backs, and they're going to find a spot for him. And in Ben Wahad and would be, okay, start a corner. You have some guys who are more veteran that could be like a Woods or perhaps a Coleman. They could play anywhere. One's a corner, one's a defensive back. What do they do with those guys there too? And then newcomers who are old and new, a Floyd, um, a Wilson Lamp, what happens to them? Like, I think there's a lot of people out there. So, again, I said this. Losing Porter is bad because that's a starter that you lose in February. Bummer, man. But they're replaceable. And if you're not down with that, look at, like, Drayshawn Miller. That was a uh-oh moment. They did okay at cornerback last year. They have a lot of things that have to go right, but they have a lot of ways for them to go right. I'm looking at not who goes where as far as, like, first team, second team, third team. But I'm looking at, like, who they pair Who's right side, left side, you know, who's the, I don't know if the go field boundary or anything like that, but also is a guy a corner one day and is he a nickel the next? Does he, does he play multiple spots? Like Charles Woods is a really interesting case for me because he might be a guy who was better as a safety in some capacity than a corner. He might've been a guy who could play a lot of snaps at corner, but also play some nickel, maybe some spear. Who knows? He could do three different things in a game or three things in the course of two games. Can he do that? Because now you don't have Matthews, which makes that, that slash roll out there kind of blank right now but also without porter woods is probably one of your best two cornerbacks right now too right i think so, so. Where's, he, where's he more valuable as a as a one or two cornerback or as a guy who can play around and, and be a real good playmaker because he has made plays in different positions he seems like he has that capacity what happens with him so this is a long answer it's not specific but cornerback around quotes because within quotes because i don't know what they're going to do or how they're going to do it but following the 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 a to b and then b all the way to z on this is going to be very interesting to me because they have options to play the positions but they have options at the position to to round about what they want to do on defense and i'm I'm really wanting to pay attention to that i i'd love to keep talking about this because i think this is the most interesting spot on the field um everything you're describing there is why i think that jackie matthews was the biggest loss in the transfer portal for this team um, I know that I guess it was quote unquote expected because he walked on senior day despite being a junior, but still had eligibility, was pretty darn good when he was on the field and can play several spots. And that versatility opens things up like you were talking about. Oh, hey, well, you know, maybe it's better to put Woods at, at uh, corner. Maybe it's better to put him at safety, better, better at spear. Who knows? We can try it all out because Matthews can do all of those spots as well. So we see there is a willingness and an ability to move some of these guys around that secondary. And, and I think that's why the Matthews loss was so big. 
back to this with Woods and the new guy, Marcus Floyd. It, it I, I was big on Woods in the preseason. I remember he was my pick for the standout on defense, standout newcomer. It took a few games for him to get there, and then the light either came on for him or the coaching staff or both, and he became the starter for the last five games of the year, I believe it was, maybe six, and, and played extremely well. Ended the season as the highest-graded regular on defense for West Virginia, according to Pro Football Focus. Um, Floyd, similar background, similar build. They're both about six foot, 190, play cornerback, both All-Americans, at the FCS level, both transferring up to FBS, both had very good PFF grades at their FCS stops. Uh, Floyd, I believe, was something like over three years as a starter. It was a 74, 82, 77, something like that. All extremely good grades. And But here's the difference. He gets a whole spring semester. Yeah. So that, that, that kind of feeling out period for Woods was during the season, during fall camp. Uh, during the first few weeks of the season, trying to figure out his role, trying to figure out how to this defense or whatever was going on there, or for the coaches to figure out what he is. And for Floyd, that'll happen this spring. So he's one of those guys that I think, you know, maybe when you step out on the field for the first day of spring football practice, if you had a made-up depth chart, he might not be number one, but he might be that guy that's the number one cornerback when fall camp starts or fall camp ends. And the season is about to begin. All right. I'll put him on my list. <laughs> Dude, pencil it in. All right. Good. Um, another one for you? Or is that your, your number two there? That was my number two. I, well, it, my next one actually has nothing. Because that was my number two. You kind of went there. But the the next thing I'm watching doesn't actually have anything to do with what's happening on the field. Or with the current team. Okay. Because, and this is a story I wrote the other day about West Virginia's success with quote unquote late transfers, guys that were added that or that committed from March up until August and their impact on the team. And I believe that the final number was after I corrected it for the Daryl Middleton, I kind of blacked that out of my memory um, and, and did not include him in my original P uh, original edition of that story had to adjust it. So Final number was of the 11 players who were capable of playing because there were two guys that had to sit out, Scotty Young and Alonzo Adai, and then one that got hurt, and that was Jaquay Hubbard. So 11 transfers who were eligible to play right away, didn't get hurt. Nine of them, nine of these 11 late transfers, made an immediate impact on the team in the fall that were playing at least 200, 300 snaps. A handful of them were full-time starters. So that 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 is something that is going to kick into high gear at the end of this month, which just happens to coincide with the start of spring practice, because the dead period ends that week of the first week of spring football practice. And I know that several high school recruits are going to be on campus for that weekend. They're going to watch that basketball game on Saturday or they're going to watch a spring football practice that weekend. But it's not going to be just high school kids. There are going to be transfers that are going to sneak onto campus all throughout the month, month of March. Now, we're going to do our best to report on them, on who's coming in, but that is when guys are going to start making visits, and I'm almost going to be as interested as in who is standing on the sidelines watching as I am what's happening on the field because I think that'll give a good indication of where the coaching staff feels they need help. Like, you know, 
oh look, there's a big there's a big left tackle over there that that has one year of eligibility remaining that was a full time starter. Okay, that's telling. Um, or if you see the Murphy twins from uh, North Texas, big edge rusher, big bandit guy, like oh I like that, that's going to help things. And, and I, I would not be surprised if you see three, four, five, six transfer types swing through spring practice in the month of March. Also, West Virginia currently without a director of on-campus recruiting. That's true. Have a GA and have a, have a recruiting staff that can make it work, but like that expertise right now is lacking. So, um, and that, that's not because like it's just the way the world went. They lost their on-campus to, what do they call it at Virginia, like on grounds or something like that. They have a clever yeah. name for EVA, but she went, she's from UVA. Kate, I say her last name. I never actually met her. Justo? Gusto. Gusto. Went yeah. to UVA. She, she came from, or spent some time at UVA. Might be a grad. I don't know. She has UVA in her background. I apologize to her. She's listening. I suspect she's not, but she was well-liked for what she did. Um, I think you told me before, recruits seem to enjoy her, her way around campus, but they don't have a person to do that right now. They have a GA that was under her wing, um, so it's not going to be like a, a cabinless or an empty cabin and an airplane going down right now. So there's a chance it could work, I guess, but it's a really important time for that too. You like to have good on-campus operations too. That was going to be one of mine here. Like who's at practice on the recruiting circuit? Cause they can, they can entertain and they have spots so they can watch practice and say, man, I'm better than that guy. This seems like a good place for me. Cause if you're looking for immediate playing time, a great way to evaluate that is that spring practice too. So perfect. I agree. Um, defensive line is one for me. I'm not saying that it's a surprise that Dante Stills is back, but I don't think that when you walked out the field in December, you thought that he was necessarily, um, I guess, in November because he was kind of more leaning toward coming back for the bowl game. But when the regular season ended, you kind of figured, like, man, this guy's been a really good player. He has one game left. No, he's got at least 12 more coming up here, provided he stays healthy. So that's a good part of this defensive line coming back with also Akeem Mesador and uh, Taj Austin. But they have players and they have bodies there and they want to use them. And I'm wondering if they go to even front or I'm wondering how much they maybe move around um, Mesador outside again. I wonder if they can really rely on Jordan Jefferson, who who going back had some really good performances and some good snap counts that look like it can grow for him as he gets older and stronger. But you haven't talked about people like Sean Martin, who is a. Uh, I would say maybe like steadying at times he could play and give you give you snaps, but not great performance necessarily, but. I would think that now's maybe a time for him to do that. That's just a couple names right there, but like those are guys you can build around. And then you look at some other people here. Um, I'm trying to think like, what do they do with a uh, Linnell Carr or Torres Simmons? Um, Hammond yeah, Russell. Carr, is a guy. Carr uh, started what the last three games at bandit. Yeah. So is he there? Or is he on the defensive line? I'm not but, sure. Um, Hammond Russell. They really like Vesteranen gave him some snaps last year. I think a lot of people are high on Braden Dudley. So these are a lot of names. And then last year, maybe a couple of them weren't ready. Maybe like a Braylon Dudley or a Hammond Russell or a Vesteran and weren't quote unquote ready. You know, you go through this whole thing once and you kind of get to the starting line again. Like you're taking your second lap. And you're like, well, that wasn't too bad. Or I knew my way around this one part. Like I can get through this. This will help me do better. And I wonder if they don't go in with one idea about a small number of players, you know, your, your handful that we mentioned there, Stills, Mesador, Alston, Jefferson, maybe Martin. And I wonder if they don't come out knowing a whole lot more about Hammond Russell, about Ed Vesteren, about Braylon Dudley, about um, you know, guys that they need that they're going to go to that next level. Perhaps Jalen Thornton, the light comes on for him, and he's a good player. He's got the pedigree. He's got experience. It's kind of a now or never moment for him, you would think. And he do that. Do they, do they settle on something for Carr and Simmons? Or are those guys that maybe because of depth on the edges, they say, you know what? 
Linnell, I kind of like you, man. It helps us out there. So there, there's a way for them to play even front. There's a way for them to play odd and have a lot of depth. And, and also there's an outcome where they don't get anxious because maybe those guys aren't ready yet. Just because they're a year older doesn't mean they're ready. Sometimes it takes time. But the pace of development and also how they do it. Like, you don't need to put a lot of miles on Dante Stills and Todd Austin and Akeem Mesidor in the spring. I would imagine they're going to get they're going to get watered a little bit. They'll get some time in the sun. But they're going to move those guys out of the way, and they're going to let young guys play and see what they can do for the purpose of finding out about them because you know what you know about your best players. But to be the best defensive line, you're going to have to learn a lot about a second and third cut. Why not in the spring? I'll leave, uh, I'll leave it with this. If you're looking for a silver lining, some positive hope for this season, um, I, you know, with all the transfers, a lot of people are, oh, well, another lost season coming up. Uh, don't go that far because I think the argument has been and has been for a long time and probably will be for for the foreseeable future that you win games in the trenches. West Virginia, eight starters back at eight positions on the offensive defensive line. Great. Eight for eight. Uh, that does not happen very often. And, and, and typically, uh, I, I'm going to have to go look because I just thought about that on, while we we're talking here. But uh, there was oh, man. What's his name? Uh, Phil Steele. I thought he had one. The correlation between the number of offensive and defensive line starts coming back and team success. And there is a high correlation between the two. So something to keep an eye on, something to remember that, you know, your offensive defensive line can make those younger guys behind them look a lot better. Yep. There was a we had a story up. I don't know, maybe a week or so ago about returning production in the Big 12. And West Virginia was near the bottom, thank goodness, for Iowa State and Oklahoma State, but also near the bottom of the country. And and some of that's deceiving because some of the receivers they lost were a lot of their receiving production. They lost their quarterback. They lost their running back. That's a team that didn't play multiple quarterbacks and did not do a lot with their running back. So, yeah, you lose a chunk of your offense from each of those guys. But, man, they do have some returning talent, as you mentioned, on both lines and, and you know, Catching the ball still, like for Wheaton, uh, Smith, who's been productive when he when he's put in, he deserves a larger sample size. Sam James, um, we'll see about O'Loughlin when he comes back. The question is on defense, where, again, you're good up front. You have a tackler like Josh Chandler Samito coming back. Lance Dixon should be next to him. We'll see what happens. But you, you have guys that can do that, too. How about one thing on the quarterback? Is that okay? Go. We each do one. Okay. I, I'm I'm not out on Garrett Green. I've been over this. I think that if, if Harold comes in and if you think that he's recruiting guys out of the portal that that he's familiar with because he wants to be familiar with somebody in his first year, okay, that makes sense. I think he's going to look at Garrett Green and find some Mason Fine similarities. I'm very interested to see how much rope Green gets because I think he's going to get, you know, like a 33% split just like everybody else. But I wonder how much is influenced by that. Like all of a sudden is this offense leaning a little bit toward like a North Texas because he can do some of the things that Mason fine did. And then you find that Crowder and Marchio are doing some of that, or is it more of a straight up air raid, more like a Texas tech that he played in and coached out. And, and then maybe more like a USC where he really got some players he could work with in that. And then maybe green bends toward what perhaps Crowder and Marchio are more like doing. I don't know. I'm going to watch that. I don't know. I mean, how they split up the reps and practice. That's interesting to me, but I guess my thing here is what type of an impact is green and the fact that he's going to look like fine a little bit. He's going to do things that remind Harold of fine. I think I haven't heard that. I haven't talked to him, but I don't know how that's avoidable at this point. And I wonder what type of impact that has. When was the last time West, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah. West Virginia had a true 
all out wide open quarterback competition. I mean, probably that that dreadful what three and nine or four and eight year. Yeah. The, the the quarterback carousel of Millard and Trickett and, and Childress, right? Yeah, I would think so. Had to be, right? Yeah. Hey. And to be honest, that was probably going to be Millard the entire time because he was like, I think everybody thought he would start when he finished. Who knows? But um, Trickett was so new. I believe he came in the summer, right? Yeah. And then uh, actually, Childress is a redshirt freshman, so he was probably in there. I have to go back and look, but that would be the that would be the right answer, I think. Um, and that's where I was going with this. I do not expect there to be an answer. I mean, we 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 joked about it when we started this off that. Last year, there was no depth chart at all from spring practice. None. Just chose not to do it. Um, first time I can remember that happening. Uh, will we get one this year? I'm not sure. But even if there is, I expect that the quarterback one will have a big fat or, or, double or on it. If they do not, and if they announce an actual starter at quarterback by the end of the spring, that is a good thing even if one or both of the other guys transfer. Uh, I know that's going to be hard for some people to hear, but it is a good thing because that means definitively that one of them stepped up and was better than the others. That quarterback carousel was destined to fail the moment there was no clear-cut answer, the moment that it was rotating and trying to figure things out. That does not work. I, again, they, that doesn't mean they have to have an answer by the end of the spring, but I'm extremely curious to see how this actual battle is treated. If it is going to have guys that separate somebody that separates from the pack, somebody that becomes the clear cut answer. If that person then starts getting more reps or if they're going to sit there and try to do a, a third, a third, a third all the way through the spring. I think if you start feeling like one of those players is better than the other two, lean into it. I think you have to lean into that, hmm. and I don't want to say go with your gut, but don't sit there and say, well, we'll just keep having a battle all the way until, you know, four days before the first game of the year. Um, I mean, you can say that publicly, sure, but privately, it, you need to find the answer. And um, so I'm, I'm very curious to see what happens with a true, true battle for the first time in almost a decade. Yeah, and I mean, new eyeballs on it, too. Like, Brown's going to be backed up a little bit. Harold's going to be in charge of it. He doesn't know anything about these guys apart from what he's seen on film and practice film, by and large. So, um, yeah, you could take a lead really early, but you could also make up a deficit, too. It just, it just depends. That's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Uh, let's wrap it up, Chris. Anything in particular? You want to talk baseball? Because I was yeah. – I, I, I kept, um, kept up with what was going on this weekend, and it kind of jived with what you had been reporting on from the preseason – you know, press conferences and stuff. I uh, saw a lot of offense, saw a couple really good freshmen, a couple old familiar faces. Uh, what was your takeaway? From what I, I'm not familiar with the opposing teams. I do see that Central Michigan was ranked and West Virginia beat them twice. Um, so what's your takeaway from that first weekend? For our first weekend, it's really good because yeah. it's just frequently they don't get outside a whole lot and, and can't get great practice in. I think that they were probably pretty happy with some of the weather they had around here. It snowed a bunch too, but I mean, they also had some days they can go out and do some things. Um, but they, they had young players who played really well. And 
Maisie said that this is not their year. It's probably next year because their last this class that's freshman right now and the freshman class last year have been really good. And he's very high on the class coming in. Says it could be the best job they've done recruiting. So if you put three good recruiting classes in the chamber, they might be very good next year. But maybe some guys on the team are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What about us? And they swung the bats really well. And they use their pitching staff really well. One of them is probably going to be more consistent than the other, I think. We'll see what happens. I think that they're going to probably pitch okay in reserve. I'm not sure how great their offense is. We'll see. But the fact that it started hot, and then the team that does that, um, they had six home runs over the weekend. That's mm-hmm. big. Three of them came from Grant Hussey, who they think is going to rake, and he did. Like he's he's got a really good swing for a lefty. But you know, Victor Scott's a guy who's got a ton of tools. Um, he went 500 in the first week, and he's never batted for average. And then they got contributions from transfers, from freshmen, from players who had to play well, who did play well, and that was enough because they're they're. Their second baseman shortstop, Mikey Kluska is now at second. Tevin Tucker's back. He's their shortstop. Yeah. Uh, three hits. That's, what, that's where I was going to go to see them score. Was it 38, 39 runs in four mm-hmm. games with those two guys doing nothing? Yeah. I mean, I think Kluska had, had four RBIs because he had two doubles. But, I mean, he went two for 17, and yep. Tucker went one for 10. Um, and, and yeah, are they expected to be big time hitters? Not really. I mean, most middle field middle infielders are not, but those are two guys that have experience that have done good things uh, offensively, and they did almost nothing all weekend long. And your team still just just as you put it, raked. Yeah, and then to to that too, their DH with Nathan was Nathan Blasic all four games, um, two hits, ten at bats. Um, he didn't even finish some of the games, too. So you're talking, that's not great what he wanted to do, but your DH is supposed to hit. That's the top of the half of the lineup guy. Didn't do it. So that and then two other holes in their, their lineup, and they still had a lot of runs, too. So just look at their average, Chris. And again, pitching, I think a lot of people think pitching is ahead of offense this time of the season sometimes, too. They hit 329 for the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, they scored in the first inning of every game. But also, true to Maisie's prediction, four guys stole bases. They stole nine bags. Uh, they only got caught three times. They were on base 42% of the time. They struck out 29 times, but they also got on base a bunch, 19 walks. So they hit, they got on base by reaching base on a hit or by a walk, and they did something when they were there. Um, Got on the the board early because their first half lineup was good. They got clutch hits. They came back from, I think, three down um, against Coastal Carolina at Coastal Carolina's field with a massive strike zone. I don't know if you saw that, but, like, (laughs) the outside corner was close to the dugout on either side. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Maisie ended up getting run, I think, in the last game, too. So I, I think it's a good thing for them. And the thing is, they're, they're going to get tested again next weekend. But it's a fun team to watch. Like, yeah, they might be a year away, but they're going to they're gonna die trying. And they're active, too. They don't have big hitters. Like, I think Hussey's going to be a good hitter. I'm not sure that Scott or, or Weatherholt or Davis are going to be big home run hitters. So they're probably going to have a hard time getting, like, the 49 homers they hit last season, even though they got six now. But, like, because I bet you're going to stay away from Hussey. And you're going to make otherwise good guys hit you. Maybe you put him on to see if somebody behind him can do it. I get that. But that doesn't matter. If they get on base by walk or by a single or by beating out an infield you know, dribbler or something like that, they put a lot of pressure on you. As soon as they get in the box, they put pressure on you. They swing at first pitches. Um, they do draw walks. I would say they work the count. But if they're in a position where it's 2-0, they're going to be careful. They're going to try to get on base. But like, if that first pitch is there, that second pitch is there, they're going to offer at it. And if they get on, they're going to try to take second. If the ball's in between, hey, can I get an extra base out of this? They're going to try to stretch a single into a double. They're going to dance in the bags. They stole home the other day, like in a pretty much a straight-up steal, not a let's steal second and try to get in a rundown. 
Like they stole home and that's the stuff they can do. So what's interesting about that is that you don't do that now in baseball, right? Especially in college baseball. You're just trying to get guys on and keep them on and then hit a three-run homer. Um, We'll see if they can do that. I don't know. I think they got a couple three-run homers over the weekend, but their bullpen's going to be good. If they can get 12 to 15 outs, they got a bunch of guys who can get them, you know, through five, six, seven, eight, nine, six, seven, eight, nine. And they did that over the weekend too. Yesterday was kind of dicey, um, but they got unlucky on some things too. So I don't know, like one pitch got hit to the moon. I get that, but some, some walk maybe shouldn't have been walks. They have good relievers. They like them. They got some guys who can, who can just get outs too. So long games because of pitching changes. Like he said, he's going to play like five or six pitchers and 86 and 80% of the games on pace. Um, but they're going to be exciting. Like you're, you're, you're going to see guys get on base and they're going to try to do something. It's not going to be, um, banking on the big hit, like the two run double, the three run homer. They're going to try to get on and manufacture runs and that's, that's going to be different, but that's exciting. And he made a good analogy too, Randy Maisie. Um, it's like when you played press Virginia, they, they pestered you. They were not fun to play. He does not want his team to be fun to play so far. So good. Yeah. As I say, outside of, outside of the stealing bases, this is kind of your money ball type of approach um to to at least offensively you know big big swings walks good eyes walks strikeouts home runs get on base see what happens the the stolen bases is really not part of it but 9 to 12 is pretty good i think some of that it, maybe it's one of those situations where you try to further evaluate the arm that the of the catcher that you're playing against and it's early in the season so maybe you don't even know cuz i think the first two games West Virginia was three of six stealing, which is not great. That like that's terrible. All three caught stealings were in those first two games, and then the next two games they went six six for six, including four for four against Coastal Carolina. So I think in, in that scouting report you see that maybe that Coastal Carolina catcher doesn't have a great arm, or your Coastal Carolina pitchers have have uh, are tipping when they're going to you know pick off or or go to the plate or have a slow delivery to better allow you to steal bases, but. Three out of six, not great. Nine out of tw- six out of six, amazing. Nine out of 12, that's pretty darn good. So I think overall for the course of the season, that's something you can take. Defense is going to have to get better. Just had some some bizarre plays from pitchers, from fielders. It's, it's got to get better. You can't give extra outs, especially when you're good about your outs on the mound. Um, strike zone was a problem, but oh well. What will be good, though, for them, I think, or at least for, for a following here, they play three games at Charlotte, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Friday and Sunday are on ESPN+. Plus. Mm-hmm. They're fun to watch. I'm not kidding. Like, give it a shot. And then they're back. Their first home game is actually March 1st, Tuesday, also on ESPN Plus, too. So if you want to watch them, you can watch them. And it's, it's an interesting experience. It might take a while because they're going to run a bunch of arms out there. They're going to get on base, and they're going to cause pitching changes, too. But if you got, <laughs> if you have four hours to devote to a football game on a Saturday, maybe you have four hours to devote to nine innings on a, on a Friday or a Sunday or, or a Tuesday in late February, March. College baseball. Mike, do you need to... Uh disclose any payments you received from espn plus for that promo um <laughs> no no uh, i don't know is it is it bad no i think like i think i'm not sure i mean i know it there's a lot of grumblings like when a, a basketball game ends up on there or a football game ends up on there the the streaming platform is is perfect for baseball yeah uh in college and, and other sports similar to that where there are just a ton of games with a ton of schools and you literally cannot put them all on your standard TV channels. There is not enough space for them all. And so for them to end up on 
streaming like this for, you know, because at any given time, there's 50 different baseball games going on and they're all right there on ESPN plus that's, that's, this is what it's meant for. I think Monday night, the TCU game in basketball, that that's what frustrates fans, but being able to see the baseball game on there, that makes it worth it. Yep. If group, if group licensing is coming to West Virginia, and it probably is, which will help in some NIL stuff. Baseball is one of the, the benefactors, too, because a lot of the stuff that you think about when it comes to group licensing, baseball cards, bobbleheads, um, anything that can put a player on it that's marketable, collectible. Um, and, hey, young team, going to be here for a couple of years, provided the transfer portal doesn't swallow half the roster. Um, good for them because there's a chance for them to make money also, but also to, to, to make some gains and get back to where they want to be or where they were even in the Big 12. Um, a good core in and on the way, too. So, hey, ground level now. Not just ESPN Plus in late February and March, but also this year. They're going to be around for a while, they think. Looks like good players and something to rally behind. And I'm sure people want to taste the success. So so why not give this a spin and see what happens? Yep. Anything else, Chris? No, I think that's it. I'm going to have some recruiting stories up throughout the week. Uh, we got Tony Washington making his first offer as a West Virginia assistant coach. Um, in North Carolina, four-star recruit Sam Pendleton. Uh, I mentioned it on the board and in the, in the buzz this morning. It might be more symbolic than anything. I don't know if West Virginia is going to come in late and steal a Carolina kid away from Clemson, but it, it's more of sending a message to the high school coaches and recruits in the area that, hey, I'm the new recruiting coach here. This is my area. West Virginia is serious, and we want the best talent in this area. So I think keep an eye on that. I would I – would, fully expect more offers to come out, especially in that area and especially from Tony Washington in the next week or so. Until then, my name is Mike Casaza, And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you next time.